0: Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's com slash standard.
1: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't
2: get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health
1: solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible
0: Oh, hey there. Welcome to episode 38 of the Standard Issue Podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan, and this week I saw a drunk man on a motorised scooter carrying a boombox, and I don't know why, but it's given me hope that the world can be a better place.
3: Ah,
0: I know. Mm. He was having a lovely time. He was living his best life. (laughs) Feeling his best self. Lovely.
3: I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I still can't open my... Fucking windows. And sorry, guys, that's going to be my fact every week until Cambridge Council lets me open my windows again and takes the scaffolding down so I can open my windows again. So I don't know, apply some pressure on Twitter, maybe. (laughs) Love,
4: Hannah. Hashtag free Hannah's windows. (laughs) I'm Jen. Free
0: Hannah (laughs) Delibi.
4: It's really stressful.
0: (laughs) Not surprised. It's been
4: quite warm of late. Yeah. I'm Jen Offord and I'm crushing on Doria Ragland.
0: Later on we chat to the awesome Deborah Jane Appleby about this weekend's Comic Con in London and fall down a geek
4: wormhole. American comedian Kate McCabe comes in to talk to us about gun control. Mick and I chat to broadcaster journalist, activist and bona fide icon Karen Franklin about being a feminist in fashion. And I do Disney's Meet the Robinsons.
3: No, me neither. (laughs)
0: But first, reproductive wrongs, pickles and hashtag suck it. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Q stink. Bush.
1: Bush
3: Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we take extra special care to make sure we get everybody's name right. Even Melanie Trump.
0: <laughs> that, is, that is never going to make me not laugh. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's just two days before the referendum to repeal the Eighth Amendment in Ireland. If you can vote, vote yes. If you can't, please chuck a fiver at the Abortion Support Network, because even if the Eighth is repealed, there will still be women needing help.
3: Also, give our two-part podcast special a listen to find out more. Please, and thanks. And the bad news on the reproductive rights front just keeps coming, this time from the US, where Trump and co are proposing to cut federal funding for organisations that offer or indeed mention abortion to their patients, or share a space with abortion providers, or think about abortions, or know anybody who has ever had an abortion, or has ever seen Vera Drake. (laughs) Well, not the last three, but give them time. Planned Parenthood called the proposal dangerous and outrageous, and senators, including nevertheless Warren, signed a letter calling it part of a broader assault by Republicans on the health, safety and economic independence of women and their families. Those midterms can't come soon enough, right?
0: Mm. Oh, oh, I'm sorry if my voice is a bit muffled. I've got my head in my hands. Oh, God. OK, bit better. Oh, wait, no, because the removing women's rights juggernaut continues across the globe. Over in Italy, Tuesday marked 40 years since abortion was legalised. And so, to celebrate women having the right to choose what happens to their bodies, anti choice activists and far right politicians have intensified the campaign to outlaw abortion. Pro Vita, the Italian Anti Abortion
4: Association. (laughs) Isn't that a yogurt drink?
3: Yogurt. That was literally what I was going to say. Or at least some sort of breakfast biscuit. (laughs) It's protecting all the microbes in your body.
0: (laughs) Oh, little heart on my tummy. Apart from making delicious yogurts, they have published a booklet repeating debunked claims that women who have an abortion could be more prone to breast cancer and suicide or become alcoholics or drug addicts. I mean, the latter two would certainly be tempting if I was forced to have a kid I didn't want. It's not like it's a piece of piss to get an abortion in Italy even while it is legal. 70.4% of gynaecologists still refuse to terminate pregnancies for moral reasons. That number rises to around 90% in southern regions of the country, while in the central region of Molise, only one doctor carries out terminations. That's one doctor... Last year, a woman in Padua had to visit 23 hospitals before finding one that would end her pregnancy. So, yeah, I mean, a woman getting herself a safe procedure is, to put it in technical terms, fucking tricky. No pressure, Ireland, but the world is watching. Mm.
3: Do you want to know something funny, Jen? Yesterday, Mickey and I were writing together, which, um, for anybody listening, should know that's a complete nightmare because I'm really antisocial and basically write <laughs> with my fingers in my ears. But anyway, I was typing and I heard Mickey go, Ha! like that and I looked up and by that point she had a head in her house it had gone from
0: (laughs) oh god it's just life at the moment isn't it and it was because the sentence was so ridiculously sexist that I just let out a, a laugh and then did a little cry in my hands
4: last week an app was launched by Hiesta London's leading domestic abuse charity and the Vodafone foundation to help victims of domestic abuse The charity says one in three people surveyed said that they would not know how to help a friend or family member suffering from domestic abuse. It hopes that the first app of its kind will help those in need access support via its online directory, linking them to local services. The app is also designed to log incidents of domestic abuse without actually saving any content on the device itself, but in a secure journal tool in either text, audio, video or photo format. The app has been launched with the support of the Home Office. Well, we all know how bad they are at keeping hold of documentation, don't we? So um, that's good. And it is expected that it will be adopted by police forces. So we are obviously all for anything that helps women suffering from domestic abuse. But perhaps it would be more helpful if there hadn't been a 45% cut in the funding for refuges for example since 2010 and if there were indeed still a decent number of services for women to access.
0: <laughs> oh. Sorry. Oh. PMT bag hasn't had the best week well when has she to be honest mm. even winning the Tory leadership contest back in 2016 must have felt like receiving a steaming turd with a candle in it and that candle turned out to have TNT written along with it. What's more, it turns out she's about as good as burying news as she is at firming up a Brexit deal as she chose the afternoon of the royal wedding to name nine... Has there been a royal wedding? I know. Who knew, mm. right? I wish there'd been something in the news about it.
3: I might have watched that had I, like, anybody bothered to report
0: on it <laughs> it's at so all. so weird. It's so weird. All the papers have just been full of actual news. It's weird. Anyway, that's when Theresa May decided to announce nine new Tory peers, presumably to bolster the Conservatives' fragile position in a House of Lords that's having none of her nonsense. The nine new Tory peers are Sir Eric Pickles, oh, God, Peter Lilly, meat-faced jizz clown, Pew Pew, Barney <laughs> McGrew, Cuthbert Dibble, and Grub.
3: Eric Pickles, right? Oh, the thing about him is, that I he looks am like Jabber the Hot. No, he looks like, and he sounds like, and his name is like. Someone who should be in the the Labour Party. In fact, I became convinced that he and Tristan Hunt had been some sort of freaky froggy body swap. Yeah, because Tristan Hunt—that sounds like a Tory. Makes sense, looks, does it? Looks like a Tory. Yeah, sounds like a Tory, as in the accent. Yeah, but yeah, isn't yeah. a Tory? Yeah, and Eric Pickles.
0: And if Eric Pickles wasn't in the Labour Party, or indeed the Tory Party, he also sounds like he should be selling meat
3: out of a van. Mm. So yeah, there has been a royal wedding. Has there been a
0: wrong There morning? has been,
3: there has been. And, you know, proof, if Advanka Trump were not proof enough that the word feminism can be applied to literally anything nowadays, came the news that Meghan Markle was making a, and I quote, striking feminist statement at her wedding. What does striking feminist statement mean, I hear you ask? Burning her bra, chaining herself to the fence at Green and Common, kicking Prince Philip in his elderly <laughs> ballsack. Of course not. By that, they meant walking herself down the aisle. And by that, they meant walking herself part of the way down the aisle after her dad, who was originally supposed to be doing it, when it wasn't part of a striking feminist statement, was unable to
4: attend. Yeah. I mean, what I loved about it was she had to, basically, she had to do the fucking hard bit by herself. She had to, like, I would have... I I find the idea of like the concept of being given away like I find it like a horrible idea were I to be married sorry papa offered but you're not doing it cuz I fundamentally disagree with it but You'd be shitting your pants if you were her and you had to in like I don't know how many billion worldwide viewers. You're doing that walk on your own, right? But then fucking Prince Charles comes in at the last minute. Typical man. So Larry fucking day Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, no, he's he's stepped in after she's done the hard bit herself. Good on him. Well done. What's that, the hard what bit of, is the of walking, habit? Jen? No, I think it's more that like I've I felt like I would probably have wanted a mate with me at, at that point just walking in it It's quite a lot of people watching though mate it's quite a lot of yeah but i mean
0: i can fall over steps that aren't there so but you know just adds to the circus
4: fucking long dress as well mate
0: but didn't she have like kids holding the train
4: yeah but you couldn't trust any of those shits now this all sounds (laughs) they were cute but they were they were like yeah this all sounds to me jen like you watched the royal wedding mate i had a royal wedding party where my friends came round and we dressed up as if we were attending a wedding.
0: Did you go as a cultural stereotype again, Jen?
4: No, I didn't. And not this time. I just wore a frock that I've worn to a wedding before. It was quite I have to say,
3: the Charles and Diana wedding, we watched at my auntie Tina's house and my nan made me put a dress on it to watch it on the telly, which I wasn't best pleased with. That's exactly what I did to my friends so yesterday. it's nice to see that you're keeping up her traditions. Yeah. She would be gladly turning, oh no, lying
4: stationary in her grave yeah, just, at that news. Just lying, resting, lying, just resting, stationary. resting yeah. happy. Classic
0: Disney values. I
4: enjoyed it. I enjoyed the pastor, Bishop Michael Curry. He was great. It was entertaining watching like every member of the royal family try really hard not to piss themselves while he like actually injected a bit of like sort of fun and enthusiasm into what was otherwise a bit dry. I, I wonder whether it was a bit like, I went to a Catholic school, which
3: obviously we all know. Um, I went to school in Bedford. Mm-hmm. And uh, around Bedford, there is uh, a couple of air bases, American air bases, and actually, there's a lot at where I am in Cambridge as well. So it's actually a, a small but you know solid American community. And we went to church once on some day that you have to go to church because that's what you have to do in Catholic school. Tuesday, and they had they had uh, like a guest preacher. And it was one of the guys off the airbases had come to talk to us about religion. And we were about, I'd say, 13, 14. And although obviously there was the range of children there, probably from 12 up to 18 all sitting in there and this guy comes on and said, I look into this audience. I'm not going to do the accent because it was like a bit Southern. I look into this audience and you know what I say? And we were waiting for that, what what they say to you, which is like happy, bright young faces that are going into the future, you know, like the next generation. And we're all sitting there. Can and I say said, that
1: at Catholic school?
4: Yeah.
3: What, well, no, but like,
4: We're looking at shame.
3: <laughs> well, the, he said, I see masturbation, oh. <laughs> fornication. And we were all like... This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And all our teachers are shifting really uncomfortably. And the actual well, priest. Well, masturbating
0: going, in assembly will yeah. make you shift yeah. uncomfortably.
3: But the, um, the, the actual priest, looking like, how did we book this guy? How did nobody know what he was going to say? And he basically gave us a 15 minute lecture on touching ourselves that we all just pissed ourselves laughing like like with it? Tips and diagrams. <laughs> no, unfortunately
4: not. Yeah, no, oh, yeah. he, did, he was didn't. It like that? No, he didn't quite go okay. there, to be fair. He just sort of talks about love a lot. He was really he he was very happy. He he was having a lovely time. Hashtag. Hashtag lovely a time. lovely time. Idris Elba was at the wedding. Got a text from my mate just saying, It could have been you Oh uh, well, <laughs> well,
3: you did say I got a text from him. Oh well, I kept thinking oh, I mean does. I did think I, I tried to avoid it, but last night I was looking for other things in the news, mm. which means that you had to wade through it. Tricky. Idris Elba and his wife girlfriend fiancé yeah they both look great but they both look like they were wearing a lot of clothes and they were both like dressed in black on one of the hottest days of the year
4: yeah
3: um i did i did wonder whether they might well sweat to death so
4: i'm glad to see they made it through yeah i think so i mean he hasn't texted me back yet but
0: uh, <laughs> one day jen one day
4: what? fiancé it's a, it's a hurdle not a barrier absolutely <laughs> what it's a, yeah it's not a, it's not official game's not over yet hannah ah. that's what we're saying yeah, just you listening. Welcome to Feminist Podcast.
2: Oh my god.
4: <laughs> Look, it's not a fish. Anyway, Hannah is disgusted. I am. Should I continue? Please, please. <laughs> this is ironic, really, isn't it? Um, Standard issue is, of course, all about championing women. Unless we want a fucky boyfriend. Yeah, in which case, suz, mate. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but every now and again, A woman, a.k.a. me, fails to get the memo that life is shit enough for us birds as it is and we really don't need to make it any harder for one another. Serial offender of this particular crime, Kim Kardashian, was up to her usual tricks this week, getting paid loads of money to do something that added no value to society. On a paid Instagram post, the second biggest insult to women to come out of the trial of AJ Simpson (laughs) captioned a provocative image of herself sucking a lolly thus... You guys, insert a vacuous brand name here, just dropped a new product. They're appetite suppressant lollipops and they are literally unreal. Hashtag suck it.
0: Fucking hell. She doesn't even know the real meaning of the word literally. No. And
3: also... She's I would, sucking an imaginary lollipop. I would also say that the word unreal in that is an odd marketing technique because it basically says they don't
0: work.
4: They don't work. Well. The reality TV star... Is that what she is? I guess. Uh, She was quickly shut down by social media users, including actor Jamila Jamil, who, upon telling Kardashian to, and I quote, fuck off, (laughs) (laughs) added, you're a terrible and toxic influence on young girls. This family makes me feel actual despair over what women are reduced to. Chill out, Jamila. I expect she's only been seeking a bit of counsel from her husband, Kanye West, right? Thousands of years of being treated like worthless spaff buckets. Well, I mean, that sounds like a choice to me.
3: Yeah. Want a bit of good news? Just yes, please. Yay. <laughs> Friend of the show and all-round good egg, Ad Lloyd won three, count them, three, three chunks of glassware slash perspex at last weekend's British Podcast Awards for the excellent Griefcast. Well done, that woman. Yay! More
0: news next time.
3: Well, you have equal pay, but, you know,
0: they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we don our tightest
4: lycra to run rings around the patriarchy. Women's activewear brand Sweaty Betty found itself in hot water last week after launching its new kids line. The brand was forced to remove a campaign image from its website following criticism that the image sexualised the young girls featured in it. The image in question showed three young teenage girls in crop tops, leggings and shorts, staged provocatively and was variously described as inappropriate, unhelpful and worrying. The founder of Sway Betty, uh, Tamara Hill Norton, defended the shoot, which unbelievably featured two of her own daughters, or her own two daughters rather, because I think she only has two daughters anyway. And she said the shoot was fun and playful. Political correctness gone mad, eh, Tamara? <laughs> She added that the brand's ethos was to empower women through fitness. I mean, when you think about it, she's sort of doing them a favour, really, because at least they'll be ready for the myriad ways in which women are unnecessarily sexualised in adulthood. So it's just getting them ready early, right?
0: I have seen this photo and the girl in the middle actually looks like she missed out on that talk at your church when you were at school (laughs) because she looks like she's about to fiddle with her button. And she shouldn't be, you know, no. I mean, in her own time, in her own room. Absolutely. absolutely, Knock yourself out, love. But not for us all to see. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. Absolutely not.
4: Yeah, no, it was proper rank. And I think the point that Kate Dale was trying to make, I think the unhelpful point is that actually one of the things that puts teenage girls off sport is this kind of like, oh, you're all like, likeery and you're worried about your body and blah, blah, blah. So like, sure, let's just fucking stick someone on a poster looking like she's about to have a... Fun time with herself. Like it's, it was, yeah, it it was really not cool.
3: No. Still, Tamara Lala, Lala, what's her name?
0: Tamara Hill Norton.
3: She mm. sounds like she's dragged herself up from the streets to start that yeah, business.
4: Absolutely. She, yeah, 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 no, absolutely.
3: Hi, we're here today with Deborah Jane Appleby, comedian, writer, podcaster, and uh, well, podcaster of. That say that better, Hannah, podcaster, co-host, co-host of strong, of female strong leads. female leads. Thank you, Deb. <laughs>
0: Deb's also in training with Hannah to get <laughs> Hannah up to
3: speed on some with stuff. with me talking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank
3: you for being here. The excuse that we, we we're using to get you in, not that we need an excuse,
5: is that at the end of the month, Comic Con is in London. It is. And there's many all over the country these days. Oh, there's yeah. In fact, yeah, there's two in London. There's Expo and there's. Um, and comic con, so. yeah, no proliferation, especially in the UK, and even mini ones like little towns have a comic con. Milk yeah. Keynes has something because I have
3: <laughs> been to it. My plan was because who, John uh, uh, Carlo, who plays Gus Fring, I can't remember his surname. In Breaking Bad was in it, and I thought it would be really brilliant to just put a chair, just drag it really slowly up to the counter, and then ask him to sign something. <laughs> and then I got there, and the queue was enormous, and I didn't do it. And then Were later, all just people with chairs, yeah. And then later, somebody <laughs> asked that. me if I was dressed as a hobbit, so and I wasn't, <laughs> I was just wearing my ordinary clothes. So that was my one comic con style experience it's not like that for everyone i
5: take it well
0: They're... for anyone who's been living in a cupboard could you quickly explain what a comic con is
5: mm. for our middle class listeners <laughs> it's the ideal home exhibition for geeks <laughs> <laughs> or a car show for nerds and um, yeah so it's it tends to be these days uh, a combination of creators and studios and it's just an exhibition of all things comic book movies tv um, but the main focus uh, for people is what's called panels, where they will have a row of stars and writers and directors from various shows and movies to answer questions and to give little quotey, anecdoty things. Um, and the fans can queue up and go and see the cast of Infinity War, talk about the making of Infinity War. And you hopefully will get a sneak peek at whatever it is they're talking about. So that's the celebrity guest part, of it. and then you can go and have your comic book signed by the person who wrote it or drew it, and and buy toys and from straight from the manufacturer and things. But yeah, it's just exactly what you'd expect a trade show to be, but it's for except people are dressed up. Well, that's the other thing is that people will dress at the cosplay. If you uh, listen to our strong female leads cosplay episode that we did a couple of years ago with Doctor Seuss. One of the great things is that you can go dressed as your favorite character, and they do have cosplay competitions, which is you know essentially fancy dress competition, but it's fancy dress turned up to eleven because you get people who who genuinely look like someone has just three d screenshotted a video game character. And they've turned up with with everything down to the last jewel and yeah, knife.
0: my sister's painted her entire body blue, and then was wearing a red wig. I think it's from Avatar, an X Men. No, I think no, it's, it's, it's Mystique. Oh. Yeah, yeah, she was like having a lovely time but sweating <laughs> just like rivulets of blue just dripping down her i've
4: got a she-ra costume at home maybe it's time to get it out you know
0: I- I- well <laughs> it, 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 the,
5: the giggle at the end of the table there is <laughs> is my fiancee catherine who uh, strong female leads listeners will know as is as, as chipping in every now and again as she's on her way to the kitchen she is going to Comic Con this bank holiday weekend for her hen night and my sister in law is being dragged along as She Ra because <laughs> that was the nearest thing that she could even possibly want to dress up as.
3: Now I take it you kind of you have to make this yourself. You can't you can't just go and buy you know, a Spider Man well, no, outfit and then go as Spider Man, though that would be cheating for cosplay, I made that sure she, she of course. I spray painted those
5: boots gold. <laughs>
4: and a lovely time yeah no I guess so yeah the more
5: kudos is given for those who make you know every stitch but if you want to just get yourself a Spider-Man onesie and rock up in it then you're more than welcome to (laughs) who (laughs) doesn't well actually possibly me because I bet they're really on flower I bet they're pretty sweaty yeah yeah
0: Uh,
3: uh, yeah. and if you've queued for a long time for a toilet you don't want to have to be trying to get that Thing.
2: No, so, like when you wear a jumpsuit no, to yeah. Glastonbury,
4: isn't it? It yeah. feels like a good idea at the time until then you get got to go the to port and take all of your clothes off. Traditionally, we're talking about a
3: geeky area. Is that something you've always been interested in or is it something that you've, you've come to recently?
5: Oh, no. Well, I mean, it's something I've always been interested in. But, of course, I had a leg up in, in spending the first 26 years of my life living as a male. So it was an acceptable thing. Right, for me in childhood to like comics and, you know... And we're talking about the 1960s and the 1970s as well, so...
0: Was so, it properly just boys' club then?
5: Yeah, I mean, it it, it didn't really start kicking in until the 80s when I was a teenager, so when Dungeons and & Dragons and things came in, I was already a teenager, and I remember we had... Because I lived in a little Yorkshire town, which obviously didn't have the likes of a, a you no-forbid know, planet in those days, but in the local market, because it's surrounded by american air bases there was a second hand bookshop that uh, my mum would go and get her books from take you know you take it back get a little discount on the next one that you buy and they always had a box of marvel and dc comics that had that floated their way from the air bases so even in the 1970s i was able to get i mean black panther was my first comic book
3: really so, that's
5: amazing yeah. I, when you when you're of an age that you don't realize there's such a thing as racism and so I would play. I, I would play act as as Black Panther when it came to choose your superhero, not realizing, of course, that there is a black man underneath. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that that well. Maybe there is something interesting about that. No, you just don't care because you that's your favorite, you know. And board games, and then video games, and uh, and I worked in IT as well, so I've always been a video gamer and everything. But yeah, it was it was easier for me because I never had to be out of uh, in the closet about liking geeky stuff um, and, and then now 30 years later as you know, when I lived as, as, as a, a woman for the same amount of time in, in my 50s and then do a podcast about geeky things and I go on stage in a Suicide Squad t-shirt and say I like comic books and the audience go no, <laughs> we don't believe you
0: do you still think there's a scepticism then around women being involved in that world
5: Oh, very much. I mean, that is—that's the raison d'être for strong female leads. It's, it's, it's not to get women who don't like this genre kind of stuff to like it. It's—we pretty much think everybody does. They're just in the closet about it, you know. The, uh, we have a. a there's a, a lot of people get in touch with us to say, you know, I didn't realize I was a geek until I listened to your podcast. And yeah, I love Lego and I love cosplay and I love doing all this stuff. But I, you know, I never really. Thought of myself, you know, gamers. We've had the big argument of other gamers, you know, how many you know, women gamers, women in gaming, and everything, and so many women don't think they're gamers. It's because we
0: don't have opposable thumbs, so we can't use the controls. Oh no, wait, sorry, that's bullshit. Yeah,
5: <laughs> but you know, I've I've had the argument with so many people who've said, no, I don't, I don't play video games. What are you doing on your phone? Oh, it's Angry Birds. Um, yeah. Well, how long do you put? Oh, about eight hours a day. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you're not you're not a video gamer, then are you? Of course, because of you are. You know, but you, it's difficult for people to think of themselves because you have this stereotype of a video gamer is a 15 year old boy porn on his laptop while he's playing Call of Duty. That's a video game. Just
0: a room where everything's sticky. Oh.
5: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I never
3: got into video games at all and that was partly because of a knowledge of the sort of personality that I have Same. was that if I did <laughs> that's, I that's would it. be in yeah. a sticky room in the basement still living in my my mum's house <laughs> even though she doesn't have a basement she would have to dig one out for what? me and, and because that's
2: I have an addictive personality and
3: I would be there doing that. Yeah. I
4: used to play video games a lot because I grew up with two older brothers, so it was like you just did whatever they were doing, otherwise you would sit by yourself somewhere, you know. <laughs> so if football was on, you watch football or you'd be somewhere else. So yeah, I used to do quite a lot of gaming, but I just lost interest in it in it, I think, when I sort of got a bit older. And I think that I I don't know why. I mean I guess just I was doing more things with people who weren't my brothers, I suppose, who weren't <laughs> playing video games. But.
0: Do you think, Deb, that there is a, a tendency that when young girls hit a certain age, they're kind of gently, not latently, but discouraged from keeping playing stuff and, and encouraged to do other activities, whereas with young boys, it's not as much of a stop doing that.
5: Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of these things, it's not particularly overt, but it's peer pressure, societal pressure, media pressure... And some girls stick to it, some girls don't. I mean, it's it's the same with playing sport, you know, playing football. Yeah. As football teams tend to be mixed until about the age 11, mm. and then they're not. And the girls who may have been playing for five or six years with the same boys now have to join a girls' team, which could be 10 miles away because there's not as many girls' teams, and so they give up. You know, mum and dad can't take them to every game, then they start to wane... Uh, at the same time, they're kind of, you know, the society is pushing them into, you know, you should be doing
4: this, you should be liking this. Um, I think also, again, I suppose another football comparison, I it doesn't... It strikes me that it's not a world that's particularly welcoming to women. It's not really made with women in mind, is it? It's like the characters are always the... There'll be, like, a couple of female characters and there'll be these, like, super real- sexualized yeah. kind of... Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, so it's not necessarily something that like a teenage girl is going to look at and be like, "Yeah, that's for me." Yeah, I mean, if you if
5: you go into any comic book shop, the the, the female staff and the, the you know, when you the few female staff and the female customers do tend to be of an alternate lifestyle variety. So they uh, it's it's always been sort of the uh, the last bastion of the outsider anyway has as geekery and them. So, girls who feel that way feel as comfortable to stay in it, and they probably have strong male friends within the genre as well. Um, And don't feel the draw to the, uh, you know, the the preppy cheerleader, just 17 boys and pop music side of it anyway, because when they try to do that, they're rejected by the mean girls. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just trying not to. Constantly stick to tired tropes, but unfortunately, that's what being a teenager is—just a tired trope these days.
0: What about the comic cons themselves? Are are they friendly towards women, or is—is it shifting? (laughs) Yeah,
5: yeah. uh, Two years ago, that would have been a very naive question, (laughs) Um, but it's—it's certainly since last year. There is now a lot more focus on. We need to cater to. What is potentially fifty percent?
4: Well, it makes smart economic sense. This is with football really? again. With sport, I'm always like, there's like a market of another half of the population that yeah. you could be making yeah. money out of. Exactly. Why aren't you doing it?
5: I mean, it's yeah. I mean, we've had this argument over um, uh, Black Panther. In uh, you know, mm. it's uh, amazing. You know that that if you, if you include this these vast swathes of the population. All of a sudden, they spend millions of pounds yeah. and dollars in your company representation. Who knew? Who's yeah. going to
0: engage with this character? Who's going to engage with a character that's a woman? I don't know a woman, woman? maybe.
5: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's been lots of problems, especially when it comes to cosplay. Whether you read comic books or not, you've got an idea of what the average female comic book character and female video game character a look like. B where. So if you have extremely attractive. 18-year-old girls who've made this fraction of a costume and then are wandering around the the O2 or or the Expo, or San Diego Comic-Con, in a place that is populated almost entirely by sweating teenage hormones in half a Spider-Man outfit, you can pretty much imagine that harassment can be a problem. However, there are things like Geek Girl Con, um, and coming to London this year, which Strong Female Leads are championing and going to go to, is the all-new Klexicon, which is a culture and media convention for LGBT women. So really narrowing it down to... There's enough people who want to go to these things that you don't just need to have one big Comic-Con anymore. You can have a Comic-Con for your representation.
0: When was your first one and what did you
5: dress up as? Uh, I've only been to one.
0: What?! Why have we got her in as an expert?
5: <laughs> How many have you been to?
0: None. There you go, that's right. that's why you're in as an expert.
5: So, uh, no, I... I went to one I didn't even need to dress up. I've yes. never been uh, to one. Uh, I didn't dress up either. I I, I attend BlizzCon every year, Ooh. which is the convention for Blizzard games, so World of Warcraft, et cetera. Okay. It's in California. Oh, that's cool. And I attend it virtually. Through the BlizzCon virtual ticket, which is twenty four ninety
0: nine. Do they just like hologram you in? It's
5: pretty much yeah. Yes. So you just it's it's everything streamed live. So there are apps that allow you it to the future. Yeah. Mm. yeah, So You're just in a blanket cape and your pants, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Comic Con has their own um, San Diego Comic Con have their own app, their own video channel, which runs things all year round, and uh, so you can virtually attend Comic Con as well. But now I'm I'm sort of vaguely agoraphobic and antisocial. So the idea of being crammed into the expo at, at London Fair City enough. Airport with a, with the a 10,000 sweaty geeks queuing up just to get some known mark to sign a poster doesn't really appeal to me whatsoever.
0: Well, my sister has got a brilliant picture of her with Brian Blessed. She's dressed as Jason from Friday the 13th. <laughs> and Brian <laughs> Blessed is just having a roar. <laughs> He's just blessed in it up.
5: Yeah, <laughs> Excellent, yeah. My better half has, has um, attended far more than I, because she's the cosplayer in the family. She's
2: waving or putting a number was on it. <laughs> <She's> waving. <laughs> she's waving. I was waving. Um, so I've been to three. Yeah. So my first Comic Con, I went as Chi from uh, manga, which Chi is a persicon, which is a personal pleasure bot. <laughs>
3: Oh, like Paul Dirty or
2: awesome Samantha. No, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, so
0: Heavily soiled for Samantha. So for because, listeners,
5: um... Catherine is extremely attractive.
0: <laughs> I once dressed as Lara Croft, so I suppose like, it, was, it was for a birthday party, though, not a cosplay thing.
5: Have you got pictures?
0: There must be some sort Is this a Dirty story? <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for coming, We're
5: Deb. That was brilliant. <laughs> Send pics. <laughs> No,
3: actually, genuinely, we should do a proper end, shouldn't we? Yeah. Thank you very much. uh Tell us where people can listen to Strong Female Leads and when they can find you and Kate.
5: Well, yeah, Strong Female Leads is out every other Thursday when I can get my act together, and we have just started year three, season three.
0: Crikey!
5: I know it's right, just flown, flown by, hasn't it? it? If you think you're a geek, or you want to be a geek, or you want to find other geeks, then you can find us at strfemaleleads on Twitter, and uh, as Sharon Carter on Facebook, because it wouldn't let us have strong female leads, because it's not a real person's name. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. And it's been an absolute pleasure.
3: Hi, we're here today with American comedian Kate McCabe. Hello. Now, we've been trying to get Kate in to talk to us about gun control since the Parkside shooting, in January. And this was the first available date that we could match up. And sadly, it's become topical again. It's fresh in the
2: news again. Yeah.
3: So this is largely a coincidence. But I saw a young girl being interviewed on CNN and she said, I've always thought that something like this would happen here eventually. And that's probably like the saddest thing I've seen in absolutely ages. That's terrifying, isn't it? it that really you're going is. through
2: your school days going, is it going to be today? You know, when you think about what a kind of school drill used to be when we were in the Cold War versus the drills that students are learning nowadays, it's in their face every day. And uh, unfortunately, the numbers of school shootings also validate the need for those kinds of drills, which is kind of sickening. I think it was somebody, you know, in the Twitterverse recently commented, the fact that school shootings is even a term, that there's enough of them that we can classify something as a school shooting is upsetting. Like when you think about that, that's a category of violence in America is school shooting. That's the frequency with which they occur. What were the drills then? Did you have to do drills at school? I'm an old lady, so I'm from a different generation. Possibly
3: younger than us. But, yeah. yeah,
2: I mean, and also with the Catholic school, if we had any kind of drills, it was more like... Jesus is on. coming! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put your guns away! <laughs> Jesus is coming, look busy! <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was a different culture back then. Um, the first big one that... I think people remember from, you know, my generation is the Colorado one, right? So that was when, God, what was that, like 20 years ago? Columbine. Columbine, Columbine I beg your pardon, Columbine. Um, I think that's like... That is in Colorado. Yeah, is it in is in Colorado. Right, yeah. it was like, yeah. I think that was like... 97, something like that. <sighs> yeah, so 20-odd years. To me, felt like the first of like, I don't want to call it a trend, I want to call it like a marker in history of like when these things just started to become more regularly normalized in our lives. This is us becoming desensitized towards violence against children. Your own country is the war zone. People that live in places like the Gaza Strip, that's a daily occurrence to them as they th- they see things like that. But that's how frequently these are happening in America, where we're starting to get desensitized to it because they come so fast and furious that it's starting to feel less surprising. The grief is because it's like a steady flow. It just becomes normalized.
4: Like you say, there was this sort of major one, but yeah. since then they've been pretty consistent. Mm. Obviously, guns have always been available in the US. So why?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think state to state, it varies how you can get your hands on guns, what kind of guns you can buy, what kind of ammunition you can have, clips, things like that. I think it is partially a reflection of the cultures that we can surround ourselves with nowadays readily. And this might be a good time to slide into the idea of incel culture and other sort of radicalized Right-wing thinking or extremist thinking that kids can access nowadays, or not even kids, you know, adults, anyone who goes on a tear like that. So when you have someone who feels very much an outsider and they are able to find a community that feels the exact same way that you do – you ever get in a conversation with someone and you're like, I hate it when people don't drive the right way. And then the more people agree with you, the more you get like wound up and feel Mm. quite righteous about the way you feel. And so you can feel like a victim as an incel does involuntary, involuntarily uh, celibate is what incel stands for. If anyone doesn't know. And those are communities that are starting to feel victimized because women won't sleep with them. Treating women like a commodity, like it's their right to have sex. That community starts to sort of stoke the flames and that person starts to feel more righteous about any violence that they might play out towards the people that are withholding this, air quotes, right from them. The right to have sex is what they're sort of defining sex as. It's it's their right to have sex with whoever they want to. And that's something that maybe we didn't have in the 50s, was like you're able to find this group of rabid, radicalized, angry people that will justify and help you justify this kind of violence that you want to play out in frustration
3: so the internet
2: (sighs) that yeah i don't want to be clip about it or curt and that oh that's that's the problem it's not guns it's the internet because it's it's both it's a perfect marriage it's the righteousness you feel that you get from the internet because you can find those communities and then the easy access that you can get to these guns so it's a really symbiotic relationship in my opinion What's weird about it
3: is, up until this happened, Tail End of last week, I don't think I've ever felt as positive as I have about the gun situation in America as I had in the first part of this year. I is mean, because of the kids? Because of the kids. I mean, Emma Gonzalez made a really, really early stab for Time Person of the Year, like back in January. Yeah. And perhaps early stab isn't an appropriate way to say it, but do you know what I mean? She was so impressive. And suddenly there appeared to be a movement that hadn't existed. The fire. Prior.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because what you had previously, I think, are, um, you know, left-leaning Democrats and other politicians, maybe some Republicans, that weren't taking money from the NRA, which is crazy. (laughs) So so people that were, you know, rallying against guns, but that's what you see is sort of like the same kind of politicians arguing. But now you have the fire of these kids that are becoming really politically significant and as well they should. You know, these are the future policymakers and these are the people that are being affected by it the most. A really positive thing I read just this morning was about the police chief in Houston is a guy, uh, Chief Acevedo is his name, or Acevedo, basically come out on Facebook and said, I am tired of arguing about gun control with people. We need common sense gun laws. You know, I'm tired of this being such a, a hot button issue on the political spectrum. If you're going to argue pro-gun stuff, get off my Facebook page, which is kind of interesting for a police chief to say that. Houston is also, it's the fourth largest city, I think, population wise in America. And they are one of these sort of like immigration hotbeds. And they're supposed to be doing a lot of ICE stuff. Stop and ask questions and, and, you know. Sorry,
3: just for our listeners who might not know what ICE is.
2: The immigration police, essentially. OK. And he has also said as a police chief, he is dealing with inhumane and impossible policies that are coming from the top, obviously. And he is trying to work in ways where he doesn't see people in his community suffering. they are not doing as much intervention as they're kind of being ordered to do he said that these are people living in his community he wants to see his community thrive and be harmonious and not have this anti-immigrant attitude and it just makes me feel like hey there's a there's a good police chief now i don't know that much about him outside of those two things i'd love to maybe read a little bit more about him but that's also hopeful you've got the kids and then you have sometimes like strong voices in authority that are actually starting to say hey cut the shit what's happening is, is really bad and I'm not going to kind of just march to these orders that I can see are more harmful than helpful. So Trump's suggestion that to stop school
0: shootings, they should arm the teachers. That's a good idea, right?
2: The thing about Trump is he's a great idea factory. You know, <laughs> He's just got uh, so much wisdom. The best ideas. <laughs> no one's had better the ideas. best people, the best ideas. <laughs>
3: Hilary didn't have any ideas.
2: No, no. no well, women don't generally. She was too Uh, caught
3: up in those emails, though,
2: mate. Yeah. (laughs) What about them, though?
4: What about those emails? What about those emails? Yeah, what
2: about the emails? The thing about Trump is he has the things that he wants to do and you can't move him on those things, right? But but everything else that he doesn't want to, that he doesn't know about, which is basically anything that doesn't result in him getting money. So like other policies, the half of him that wants to be popular means that he's very malleable and very susceptible to whoever talked to him last. So you had a meeting that he had with Democrats where he actually was volunteering to move forward on gun control policy in a huge way. And it was about to happen. And then a Republican literally lent into him to be like, no, Mr. President, we need to talk to the NRA tomorrow. And he was like, uh, it just changed in an instant. He is that much of a tumbleweed blowing in the wind in some of his policies. So you had him almost making positive steps on gun control, but then the NRA came to talk to him and he completely shifted. So he's not helpful. He got on board with this idea that I think came from the NRA, that teachers need guns. And I come from a family of educators, so that makes me so sad to think that my sister, my mom, who's retired, would have had to have that as part of their training. You'd think they'd look at the police
4: (laughs) and realise that it's not necessarily helpful, right? Yeah, but also it
2: just doesn't seem a
3: practical solution to any problem.
0: And the thing that I don't understand as well is obviously after Dunblane, there was a massive change in gun law over here in Mm. the UK. In Australia, there was an incident Mm. that happened.
3: Yeah, it was a massacre at Port Arthur. Yeah, and
0: then they changed it. And we've not had we've not had it. Yeah. I mean, Why isn't America going? Oh, hang on. Isn't
2: that isn't it
4: the case more that in the cities in the U.S. like that the gun ownership is not as big an issue? Well, as...
2: this is the whole thing too, where it's like you get into sort of like the cities with their liberal elite. It's people that are less fearful because they're educated. Yeah. Right. So without dumping on the middle of America they're just more susceptible to kind of like these fear-based ideas that get you to buy the gun. Now, that's what I have a question about, because obviously we've been to Ireland
3: recently um, to look at the Eighth Amendment. We are familiar with the sort of propaganda that is circulating about that. We're obviously familiar from Brexit of the sort of propaganda and also from the election of Trump of like the idea of fake news. But the NRA really stands alone in the level of, of propaganda that it puts out into the world. I mean, the idea that that, that false flag operations are touted every time something like this happens and that people out there read and and believe it, or whether they do believe it or whether they just want to believe it because it reinforces their particular worldview. But I...
2: It's extraordinary. It's really hard to pull people out of that as well, because why would they not believe that picture of Emma Gonzalez isn't her pick? There's a picture of her tearing up like a target. And, you know, right wing kind of meme generators and websites have changed that picture to her tearing up the Constitution. So obviously, in an, in an attempt to sort of vilify Emma mm. Gonzalez, they've doctored this photo. And now that's what's circulating amongst gun, gun owners. Is, and you know, that's their their way to villainize this person. It's hard to get someone to believe that the other thing is true. Especially when Alex Jones has basically been accepted into the heart of the White House. Yeah. Really, <laughs> it's coming from the top. There was some... <laughs> butt nugget on Twitter the other day who suggested not only arming teachers but we need less entrances and exits into schools. The problem is there's too many entry points into schools. Yeah, that's what you need, a bottleneck. (laughs) Do you know what
0: the real source of gun problem is? Doors, guys. Yeah Yeah, doors. doors. But it's
3: actually when you're planning a school, like how you could have a battle in it. It's not in this country, nobody would ever say, oh no, but hang on. What if we were fighting World War
2: Three within that school? That's no, like that shouldn't be part of it. Yeah, it's like, it's insane. We have a real culture. I mean, just back to your point about the NRA being such a propaganda machine, where it's a real right versus left, not many people joining in the middle. Because when you decide that your stance is right, you have all the ammunition in the world for you, whether it's made up or not. You just have people that are arguing with a set of facts that's completely dog shit.
4: I did a bit of travelling around the US a few years ago and the level of paranoia about personal security Mm -hmm. was just mind-blowing to me. I fell off my bike just outside Nashville
2: if you had a gun, you could have shot yourself back on. <laughs> so many people said to me,
4: "You're going to die. A psychopath is going to kill you." Like, but I'd be like, "Don't. I'm English. Don't be ridiculous. Of course, I'm not armed. <laughs> it's just not how we roll." I've then. got
3: my keys poking out from between <laughs> exactly, my Exactly, <net> because
4: <laughs> that will be much more effective. Yeah. So I fell off my bike. This woman picked me up uh, and she took me to like a medical center. And then afterwards, she took me to her house and uh, she, in the end, she like drove me to Nashville with my bike and whatever, which is very kind of her and. They, we were talking about guns, and she was like, yeah, I've got a gun. i sleep with one, like, under my pillow. And you're just like, oh, my God. She's like, I've got one in my bag right now. And I was like, no, you're all right. It's okay. I, also, I believe you. can
3: shoot you
0: in the it's head, right. which
4: is what would happen if oh, I had a gun absolutely. under my but it's the just... of
0: things I drop, I, give me a weapon. But it was... A week.
4: The thing about it that was so bizarre to me was that she lived, like, literally in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, cause the chances of anyone, like, wanting to... But also... You just picked up a complete stranger off the side of the road and taken them into your house and you don't even lock your fucking front door. But Why have you got did, a gun under your pillow at she night? She did let you know
0: that she could shoot you.
4: <laughs> she did, but this was like yeah, a good knew. hour or so into our meeting.
0: She always knew she could shoot you. It was.
4: I found it so bizarre. Can, 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 I, can I ask?
3: I've got family in America. Um, I've had several disputes with them over the fact that, you know, if someone was going to rob me, that I actually... Okay. Would let them rob me rather than shoot them because to me the loss of whatever confidence that you lose or even what property you lose is not worth the idea of living the rest of my life knowing that I killed someone. Mm. They ano- can't murder mi- someone. Yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, sorry again. <laughs> they find that difficult to understand, which and they are British, obviously, but then have moved been in America for so long that they are no longer British. Adapted, yeah. yeah, does that indicate that there's just Americans value life less? than we do.
2: But yeah, but look at our abortion laws and the, the fights that we yeah. have amongst... It, it's about the... We're susceptible to boogeymen. We get scared about things. A lot of it is race-based. The reason a lot of people don't want guns in schools is because black kids would be unfairly targeted. Teachers would feel threatened by black kids more than they feel threatened by white kids. They would pull the gun on black... I mean, that, that's a fair argument, I think. People are inherently racist in ways they don't even realise.
4: But paranoia...
2: Is literally written into your constitution.
4: Like the. Sure. Now, which one is it now? I can't remember. Is it the Second, second Amendment? Second? Sorry. I oh, was so repeal the Eighth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is it? What is it? Repeal the, the Second! The Second Amendment <laughs> is basically a clause about paranoia, isn't it? It's about like your government getting
2: it, uh, too, get, big, for, too big boots. for its britches. It's the don't tread on me uh, idea what's ridiculous about it nowadays because the thing is like the idea of armed militias that's that's legal in America you can you can arm a militia and have groups of people that are sort of on government watch yeah the idea that like a ragtag bunch of militias could ever compete against America's drones it's is insane. nuts yeah so a it's outlived its purpose in that regard there's countries that have gun laws that are doing okay with the guns they have. Like, I think it's fine over here to have shotguns. Is that right? Like, you can have, like, hunting rifles and shotguns. You have to get it, like, signed off by
4: your GP and stuff like that. There has to be... It's, like, quite a... There a is a process deal. for doing it that There's takes some time.
2: Shooting ranges. You know, you like guns... Go visit a gun at a shooting range. Have fun pretending that you're Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. Kill those clay pigeons, the fuckers. Great. Have a good time. You know the pictures of that Caitlin, what's her name on Twitter, that was driving me crazy. Caitlin Marie. She's the perfect picture of a scared American. So this is, just to be clear. Hey, as a
0: woman, I refuse to be a victim and the Second Amendment ensures that I don't have to be. This is the woman Mm. who... Gun with her for her graduation photo and a sign that says, come and take it.
2: Yeah, in a place where uh, historically uh, an American shooting happened, it's in that song. The um, being a shit guest right now, it was that university shooting. Oh, uh, thank you, Ohio State, Ohio. Yeah, Yeah. that's the song. Yeah, Neil Young, the Neil Young song. Uh, yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's another graduation photo from a woman called Brenna Spencer that says, I don't take normal college graduation photos. And she's wearing a Women for Trump t-shirt. I'm not even going to stop. But a gun tucked into her leggings.
3: It's <sighs> interesting you mentioned Kent State because Kent State... Was, was cops on. Was, was cops on. But actually, when you look at the, the body count of Kent State, it was actually quite low compared to what's going on now. Yeah. The The shock to the system that was caused by Kent State now, you say a school shooting that has four people killed and then move on because in a fortnight,
2: there's going to be a a a whole lot more. Yeah. When did Vegas happen? Has that even been like, has that been eight months yet? The the amount of people that were killed in Vegas. When was that? Like that's so fresh out of, of our memory. Well, one of the first things you ever wrote for us was about the pulse shootings in Miami. That's right. It's what, Two years ago? Yeah. But. Like, I mean, it's, you can draw a parallel to what hap- was happening in the White House right now. Every single day, some more news about what Trump is doing or who he was tied to or things like that. They come over and they, they, they erase the, the days before because there's no room to kind of entertain all the ideas in your brain. You're so busy looking at the next fucking shit stormy's cause yeah. that you're
0: not thinking about the other policies that he's sneaking through or that have just happened. Or
2: yeah, oh Stormy Daniels is coming forward. Oh, but we're going to pull out of Iran. How do you feel about the future? Is is there hope? Am I wrong to think that there might be hope? No, you you can't be wrong. I refuse to let you be wrong about that. anything. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. Oh no, <laughs> go wrong. It's
3: unbearable. It's okay next week.
2: <laughs> I I mean, regardless of what's happening, like I'm. St- I, I'm still a very proud American. I am surrounded by people that feel like I do, that this is like our darkest timeline and that we have people that are better than this. Because just to be clear, you're not from intellectual East Coast America, are you? No, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, the border of Pennsylvania and Ohio. It's the Great Lakes region. Pennsylvania is always a swing state. It's always uh, a battle between red and blue in Pennsylvania. It's one of those states that, like, presidential candidates spend a lot of time in because they're like, we need your votes, Pennsylvania, because it could go either way. Yeah. I love where I grew up, but, you know, there's parts of Pennsylvania. And it's beautiful. It's yeah, very yeah. beautiful. You know, there's, like, parts that are, you know, yeah, people there that for some reason will have a Confederate flag. It's like, you're the North. Is that how much you yeah. hate black people is that you are willing to... Be on the wrong side of history that like you don't even know that you're yeah. you're above the Mason Dixon line. So yeah, it's it's I'm not. The point is I'm not from um, New York City. I'm not from Los Angeles. You know, my mom has never lived anywhere but Erie, Pennsylvania, and she's a, a forward thinking woman. And th- you know, they're out there. I think the thing is it, we're dealing with propaganda machines all the time. There's lots of people who are easily swayed by whatever the most convincing argument is. And what's more convincing than you're gonna die? And here's how you're going to do it. So vote for us so that you don't die in that way. The Democrats just don't have that kind of message. Our messages are, hey, let's make things more socialized so that they're more effective in society. And let's help people who are poor. And gays should have marriage rights. Whereas the Republicans, they run on racism, homophobia, fear of the immigrant, and things that feel more urgent. Just fear. I think Mm -hmm.
0: fear. The NRA want us to think that, that guns protect... The most vulnerable. When the fact is, they kill the most vulnerable. Yeah. But they put in so much money into politics. Yeah. I mean, that's where I want. I want the hope. I want. I want that. You know, it's the hope thing. Yeah. But it just feels like money's always going to win the day.
2: Right now, the machine needs to be about smashing the propaganda. We need our message to be louder than the fake doctored pictures of emma gonzalez we need to take that to people who are forwarding it and say like that is a doctored image and you're a bad person for passing it on do your research stop being such a dumb shill don't let your brain go to sleep because you're so scared that seems like a really that was good thing that, that, that's a
3: message to end on um come back and talk to us about the midterms kate when they happen i will gladly that's gonna be exciting
0: thanks very much for coming in you're welcome <laughs>
4: Hello, me and Mickey, Hiya. Are, here she is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> are joined by Karen Franklin, journalist, commentator, activist. We're not really joined by, Karen has no, very kindly well, uh, allowed us into yeah. our
0: London home, thank <laughs> That's you. That's true. I we brought um, some, a some stuff, for suitcase, I'm living here now, yeah. <laughs> this is where I live. <laughs>
4: thank you so much for having us. My pleasure. I was looking at your website last night and you've done so much stuff. Where do we start? I guess the big one to start with
0: is fashion. I know you from the clothes show. Yes. So that would be... That
1: takes us right back to 1986. Oh my God. (laughs) 1986. Yeah. But that was an education coming from um, a a magazine, as I did. But it was a sort of fashion identity politics magazine. It wasn't sort of girly trends. And so I made this graduation from what was essentially quite an underground post-punk magazine to a very overground, you know, the BBC, with massive, massive audiences. And it was really that moment where I fully understood the power and the responsibility of, of fashion, that fashion has, and how people bring it into their lives, and look at what fashion is saying as though it's coming from a really authoritative taste leadership position on what it is to be a human being but that's when I started saying well we could be doing this and we could be looking at it from this way and we could bring this in And I often used to, I mean, I threatened to resign all the time. I was there for 12 years and I did resign in the end. And I was forever saying, you've taken the teeth out of it. You know, what I was going to say was this, but you've gone, let's nicey-nice it for everyone. So, I mean, I've got a, a lot of gratitude for that opportunity because I learned so much about life, about my profession, about myself, about others. And there were some amazing women on the team that we kind of colluded together to get stuff through. I mean, one example, I was pregnant in 1992 with my um, first daughter, who's now 25, and I was being filmed as a kind of head or shoulders thing quite often. And I was like, what's the big deal? You know, I think I'm looking quite notched. There wasn't really uh, maternity maternity wear then, but I was sort of dressing my entire kind of stomach as though it was a sort of, uh, you know, prize cushion. It was like, you know, <laughs> sort of that was where, the you know, the, the focus was. And I kept saying, can we just do a head to toe? Why has it got to be like, somehow people can only oh, see me?
0: Like I a Disney that. film, like babies yeah. are only delivered by oh, stalks?" I remember yeah.
4: that. Do you remember in the 90s, I think it was Melanie Blatt's in All Saints. I remember her being on like Top of the Pops and she was pregnant. Lena she... Cherry
1: before that. Oh, right. Lena okay. Cherry did a massive um, kind of dancing she was quite heavily pregnant, um, so there you know there were those of us who were kind of going yeah. let 's you know let 's not pre- let 's pretend we don 't do this so you know for me, that was as much a part of being visible as as a woman with something to say mm. as actually throwing the spotlight on something that was happening around say lack of fair trade or thin models or amazing garments exciting designs top designers you know it was all part of it and interestingly you know the experience I would go on to have would be that the shock of being a single parent and working full-time I say that just you know for dramatic impact but you know (laughs) I suddenly sprouted a white streak and I was phoned, so in my early 30s, I had a, a white streak, which I really liked. Wicked I...
0: bride of Frankenstein <laughs> streak, it's amazing.
1: I thought it was a good thing. But I was phoned up from a colleague who said, they've just been discussing you in a meeting and how you're looking old and they're going to wind you down. not sending you
0: to the farm? <laughs>
1: But there you go. In my early 30s, as a woman, I was already starting to look too old. I obviously did, you know, flip a gesture over the phone (laughs) and I kept my white streak. But what I decided to do was sort of dye the rest of it, um, as time went on, dye the rest of it quite dark so that I had this great contrast So there was a period where people thought, how do you dye that white streak like that? How do you get it looking so natural? And I'd be like, that is the only natural bit on my head. (laughs) (laughs) For quite a while, I had that two-tone head. And then as I got to my 50s, I kept sort of saying to my hairdresser, can I just grow all this out now? Have I got enough to make a statement? Because it was still very two-tone. And when I said to my business partner, right, I am now going grey in my early 50s we just need to know that I won't get employed in the same way because we used to do a lot of live events and you know we'd rock up and we'd do the thing and I'd get on stage and and you know I I was correct (laughs) but that you know you you have to engage with the reality of of stuff but my business partner wasn't happy let's say because I was effectively saying I'm going to now be interfering with our nice little income stream.
0: Now fashion it's supposed to be a celebration of identity. And the one thing I absolutely associate with Karen Franklin is that <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein streak. It was what stood out. But instead of being a celebration of identity it does sometimes feel like fashion is more used as shackles for women Mm -hmm. particularly for women Mm -hmm. and you decided to go back to school to sort that out right
1: (laughs) (laughs) well I've always been very vocal about the unachievable body ideals that fashion promotes and we began you know we did quite a lot of that on the clothes show in the early 90s and what I saw was models getting taller but this you know the the Uh, sample measurements staying the same and I was also seeing a kind of global recruitment of Eastern European women from very poor backgrounds who were willing to do whatever it took to conform to this Uh, you know this is unkind and damaging sort of body type that designers were using
0: i think that is a wonderful word by the way unkind yeah yes Mm -hmm. it is it's unkind to to them and to women and to everyone across the board yeah
1: um and you know i was increasingly asking models about this story and you know i was finding out about how what their daily work experience was and i was just getting increasingly more appalled and so i began to write about it i began to 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 sort of campaign in a way that you do i worked with the eating disorders association for many years i was a patron and i just felt able to occupy a space i call myself a disruptive fashion lover (laughs) i love fashion but i will call out You know, what I think needs to be changed. And it's like any reformer, you can't do it if you're outside Mm -hmm. with a protest banner. You have to be inside saying, Well, what if we did this? And what difference would it make if we went that way forward? So increasingly, I began to talk about it. You know, I've always worked in education, so I began to talk about it a lot to my students and create initiatives in which I would. of empower them if you like to take a different position but it wasn't until 2009 that i thought this just needs something way way bigger so i got together with some industry friends erin o'connor and deborah Bourne, and we created all walks beyond the catwalk and we worked with really high-end people across the board with high production values to make a big noise about the importance of diversity and inclusivity And it was at that point that I began to think we're coming from the heart and the, you know, the gut, the instinct. But I need more because I'm often talking to sort of CEOs who don't realize that they're operating with this dominant culture masculinity perspective. And I've got to crack through this and anger isn't going to do it you know and coercing isn't going to do it i've got to go and study i did a master of science in psychology um in order to leverage the correct information so instead of wanting to just like smash the room up when i'm in there i can actually just go well studies show and Mm. it's it's actually been really good for my mental health to be able to do that and the tables haven't been tipped quite as often there's been less tidying up to do when i've (laughs) left what do you think
0: the biggest changes are that you've seen
1: well that say people like edward enifle who has now you know made it to vogue a position of power has felt safe to be vocal about the need for more racial diversity and size diversity that conversation would not have got that far let's say 15 years ago that we're seeing black panther You know, Mm. smash it Uh in the box office. So, yeah, the things are changing. And also, we've got social media now, which allows for really positive baton passing, and you can get to a tipping point more easily, hence the Harvey Weinstein conversation.
0: I was going to ask you actually about social media and influencers. There's a lot of bloggers, and of course, they're not models, so you do get more Mm. diversity there. So, do you think? the age of social
1: media and the ease that people can communicate with each other is making a difference as well. It's an amazing tool. And it's like anything. You know, a car could be taking children to school and taking someone to hospital, but it could also be driven irresponsibly and, you know, crashed into a house or whatever. Social media is the same. It is an amazing tool for empowering people and passing... Uh, information on and suddenly you know women gathering sort of around something and going great I didn't know that was out there being thought of in this way and that meeting you say and that activity and that campaign so I'm thrilled about that because I don't think we could have got to the point where we are now beginning to talk about toxic masculinity and there are many other masculinities, let's make that clear that mm-hmm. are not toxic, that have been marginalised by dominant culture masculinity so, but for this conversation to take place, there have to be a lot of voices pushing it forward and I'm really excited by the amount of men on social media that are, are able to say rape isn't or shouldn't be a woman's problem, it's our problem mm. to you know take forward and begin to look at, and so you know certainly again, you know I've got two daughters that's been a conversation that we've had from the off about who are you following and why who's coming into your world and what are they talking to you about, and why do they have currency you know what is it about them so coming back to say you know bloggers and you know influencers, let's say you know whatever we might think. And there's a whole programme there, isn't there, about Kim Kardashian? Okay. Um, <laughs> she has, I think, helped push an understanding out into high fashion that different body shapes are required. Because, you know, I know personal stylists who are now being given massive budgets to go to the shows and to then go backstage and go. Okay, so you've shown me it on an emaciated teenager, but my client Mm. now wants this made up in a UK size 16, 18. You know, she's five foot four and here's all her money. So let's get on with it, shall we? And as uh, fashion shows are being questioned as a vehicle, you had people like Christopher Bailey from Burberry saying, we're going to sell directly off the show. And that to me heralds a need for different thinking because people can't begin to imagine things on themselves if they're not being shown a spectrum of body shape and age and image. So someone who is is really kind of rocking a big audience, has enormous power to change. Kim Kardashian, you know, has, has bought a huge amount of money to, say, Givenchy because she's wearing their collection, and she's showing other women how to wear it because teenage, very thin, tall teenage models don't actually do that. Oh, no, sure. absolutely. You cannot enact change unless you've got diverse perspectives pushing that change forward. So, you know, for an all white, sort of right wing, hetero, cisgender team to be saying, yes, yes, we must think about recruiting more diversity, it ain't gonna work unless you've got these perspectives immersed in the thinking in the first place. Mm. So, yeah, it's an interesting space. I mean, point in case being the Beach Body Ready campaign and you know that was something we know raised huge sort of female hackles i loved all the that's always in my lectures to students and I've, I've got one you know that has the um the image and then it's got fuck off it's all <laughs> over it you know somebody had to cross a train track to make that image i love it but you know, engage with the advertising standards authority about that and you know there were hundreds and hundreds of complaints but because it was deemed to conform to accepted standards it wasn't upheld much to the rage of us all but as a result of the complaints we all went in and you know, put our case for why because my first question and whose standards are those yeah. because they're certainly not women's standards and there's been a huge kind of turnaround inquiry um, with lots of evidence that Jess Phillips presented, um, I think, last year at Parliament at new advertising standards protocol going forward. That it is now the perspectives of those in the ads that will be taken on board. Because women should have been able to say, this is outrageous. Yeah. Um, but. You know, so we're, we're, we're still needing to make those all the time. and what, what often I say to women is, the advertising standards Authority will investigate one complaint. You don't need to amass a hundred. So they will have a look because they need to have an opinion on it. So we have huge power as individuals to, to, to go and say, "I'm not happy with that," or even to just say in a room." Well, I tell all my students, you know, when you think about the informational cascades, as a disruptor to just say, I don't know, that doesn't feel right to me. And that simple space of, you know, stopping that flow of information allows for other people to go, I was thinking that too, but I don't know, I thought, I just thought I, could, I didn't have the space or the right to say it. And I think that's where women have huge power, is actually channeling that gut instinct so that it doesn't have to be a big righteous declaration it is it can be a, a small energy where you just say it doesn't feel right to feel right about it am i the only one and that space in itself gathers and that's what women do so well on social networking and mm. that's why i'm so thrilled about it as a really pro-social tool.
4: Karen's probably a bit uh, early in our relationship to say this but I'd quite like you to adopt me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've moved in, Jen. I've got the room in the back. I'll fight you for it.
1: <laughs> um, well, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to get the chance to chat really because obviously, as you can now tell, I can really go off on it. Thank you. <laughs> um, You play ball
4: like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny off the blocks, that time of the week where we fire a swift left hook at the patriarchy as we discuss all things women's sport. Now, just to start off with, um, if you can hear a funny noise, it's not me wheezing or like a kitten being hurts or anything it's it's my laptop um and my laptop's nine thousand years old so yeah it's it it gets a bit angry from time to time so yeah don't don't be alarmed it's just my laptop anyway on the theme of left hooks congratulations to nicola adams who won her fourth professional bout against argentinian I'm going to struggle to say this, so I do apologise for this pronunciation as previously discussed. I am from Essex. Um, Soledad del Valle Frias on Saturday. It was a slightly controversial win, having done so in just one round. However, that one round lasted 2 minutes and 46 seconds, but they had actually only been sanctioned to last for two minutes. And then, on announcing the win... The ring announcer stated that it'd come after 1 minute and 59 seconds. And in theory, Via Frias' team could actually call for a no contest. So we might have to watch this space a little bit on that, but let's hope not because it is widely considered that Adams is going to sort of start looking for a world title. And um, I wouldn't want anything to derail that because she is excellent and we do love her. Anyway, moving on to football. Congratulations to Chelsea ladies again for sealing the Women's Super League title to land them a double this season because that's because, obviously, as previously discussed on this podcast, they won the FA Cup a few weeks ago mentioned on last week's podcast the retirement of Chelsea midfielder Katie Chapman Um, well it's all change at Chelsea going into the end of season break. First up congratulations to manager Emma who will be taking some time off now having just given birth to a son. Also it was announced last week that one of our women of the year for 2017 Enia Luco, will be leaving the club at the end of the season as well. Luco has scored 47 goals in 101 league appearances for Chelsea during two stints between 2007 and nine, and more recently in the last six years from 2012 onwards. The 31-year-old set tongues wagging as she announced her departure but didn't immediately follow up with news of where she was headed to. Personally, I thought it might have been the US but it looks very much like it's going to be Europe and from what's been said... We know that she's had talks with Paris Saint-Germain, obviously in France, and one other European club earlier this year. So watch this space on that count as well. In a way, it's kind of sad for the league, the, the English league that is, that a number of excellent British talents have gone abroad. Jodie Taylor, Tony Duggan, Lucy Bronze. But also I think it's a really, really strong endorsement of the football that we're playing here right now. So that can only be a good thing from an international perspective. And while we're on the subject of the league, we're awaiting news of the Women's Super League's restructure, which we talked about previously on this podcast as well. So the restructure basically means that A raft of clubs previously not represented in the league were given the opportunity to apply to be in the league, providing they met certain criteria around investment and youth development, etc. So this was sort of seen by a lot of people as a means of encouraging some of the bigger Premier League clubs who still didn't have them. Manchester United, I am looking at you to put together a women's team. And I guess the point behind that is about branding, etc. It's easier to get people to give a shit about Manchester United as a global brand than it is Yeovil Town. It's a bit cynical if you ask me, but I don't know, I guess if you want to make an omelette and all of that. So the big news here is, ahead of that announcement, is that it's been announced. Oh, a lot of announcements today. must find another word for announcement that former England captain Casey Stoney will manage United's women's team, who we very much expect to be approved as a new WSL team when that restructure news is out. Stoney has a bit of experience here, having joined Phil Neville as the England women's team assistant coach. And starting next week, we have the French Open. And from our perspective anyway, it'll be all eyes on Joe Konta, who was incidentally another one of our Women of the Year last year that looks a little bit more hopeful than it had done um she did all right in the italian open which is her most recent tournament Uh, she was knocked out by one-time french open champion yelena ostapenko in the round of 16 elsewhere serena williams is expected to make her grand slam comeback following the birth of her daughter in september last year but it's been announced this week that she will do so as an unseeded entry, which means that she risks having to face top seeded players in the early rounds. It's obviously not ideal if you want to win. It's a little bit controversial as she's, she left on maternity leave, ranked world number one and has dropped to number 453 since her time off. So she can enter the tournament under the WTA's special ranking rule, But it's for the tournament organisers to decide whether or not players are seeded. The WTA is said to be considering whether or not that protection needs to extend to seeding. But obviously the tournament starts on Sunday so Williams isn't going to be the immediate beneficiary of any rule change. So for those of you who don't necessarily follow the tennis that well, what it basically means is that you have to have a certain amount of points or ranking or whatever to get into the highest level of the tournament, so the Grand Slams and things like that. If you leave, for example, on maternity leave, you would not be able to play over a period of time, which means that your rankings would would drop because you're not getting the points you need by playing the matches. So basically the WTA say, well, look, that's unfair. You should be able to play. You know, it's not. you're not, not playing because you're crap. You're not playing because you're pregnant. So that's protected. If you take that time off, you can come back and you can go back into that upper tier of matches. But, I mean, as for the seedings, well, it's quite tricky, isn't it? I think on one hand, if you're going to apply it to, to rankings, maybe you should apply it to seedings on one hand it's a choice if you want to go off on on maternity leave but then and also it does give other people a chance to succeed and that's a good thing but then on the other hand in the real world employers would be bound to keep your job open for you if you ask them to uh, when you went off on maternity leave so why should it be any different in sport anyway you can find out who she's going to be up against when the draws are announced tomorrow so that's thursday if you're listening on wednesday Also tomorrow, Thursday, again, we've done this, haven't we? Um, I'm off to the Women's Sports Trust Beer Game Changer Awards. And not to win anything, I hasten to add, but mostly just to try and get selfies with awesome women. So keep your eyes peeled on their Twitter feed and possibly my own, at InspiraGen, for more info on winners and general larks. I'll be back next time with more sportsings.
0: Welcome to
3: Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you did this week? This week, I did 2007's Meet the Robinsons. Sorry, what now? Exactly. I had never heard of it, but it's got one of those names that it could literally be anything, couldn't it? Hugh Grant, rom-com, horror, could be an ill-advised Robert De Niro project. Meet the (laughs) Robinsons. Who knows what that is? <laughs> Disney's um, branching out, isn't it? Yeah. So I can say at best I was curious uh-huh. as to what it was. Did you guys watch it? Have you seen it before? Sorry, I did not. No. I did not do my homework. <sighs> no. awesome. Did you like it? Do you know what? There's actually a really good film in here. Struggling to get out? Struggling to get out, basically. I think it was all right. I think that... Actually, it's probably something that would improve on a second viewing. I just don't really think I'm ever going to watch it again. Is Robert De Niro in it? (laughs) No. It actually tells quite a complex story that's got some revelations at the end that I think that the criticisms that I had early about it actually disappeared when I saw what the denouement was. It's actually funny in part. It seems to spaff... A lot of it's jokes. It's timing's not great. It doesn't seem to let jokes land and sit there. It seems to move on quite quickly, you know, as if children haven't got the time to enjoy a a joke. But like I say, the story that it tells, that's quite complicated. It tells really well. There's just some other stuff about it that I don't really like or didn't really like. You've been quite cagey about the story. Is that because it's a bit spoiler heavy? Well, it will be. It will be spoilery if I tell you. Although if I told you which I'm not going to but if I did tell you you might actually enjoy it more because you knew what was going on a bit better. It starts off with the obligatory Disney origin story. In this case it's just the one scene and it's a woman leaving a baby on the doorstep of an oh, orphanage. What a bitch. Yeah. Then then it it leaps forward in time obviously and that child that was left there is now called Lewis. He is I think he said. I think they said he was twelve because he's worried about being thirteen because he's waiting to be adopted, and they think that when he becomes a teenager, he won't be adoptable. He's sharing a room with a kid who looks like he's on crack. Um, <laughs> Those orphanages can get very noisy yeah. if they don't like dole out the crack. Well, which again, actually, is kind of explained by the end of it, and it makes sense why he lives with this kid. That looks like he's on crack. He has apparently had 124 interviews with people who are coming to adopt him and none of them have gone well. Oh, He's like a little inventor. He likes to invent things. But what I will say is largely the fact that he has been able to stuff up 124 interviews is people don't give him relevant facts until about 20 seconds after he would have needed those relevant facts. For example, the person that he sends into anaphylactic shock. If someone had just said, wait a minute. He's allergic to peanut butter while he was waving peanut butter about. That might have, you know, solved that situation. Anyway, he's very upset because he's not getting adopted. So he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to invent a memory machine, which he makes out of one of those old boombox things and also lasers oh, and yes. lasers. Maybe that's what that guy on the scooter is right. going to do. <laughs> and, and what what he's going to do is he's going to go back in time into his brain, into a certain date. And his memories will be shown up on a screen. So he thinks he'll be able to see what his mum looks like and he'll be able to go and find her. So he takes this invention off to his science fair. Mm -hmm. And then immediately he's ambushed by two people, one of which is a a boy, a 13-year-old boy, who claims to be from the future. And the other one is this really weird-looking fuck um, (laughs) with this... Oh, no, but seriously, I tell you what, he looks like vanilla from Chilton and the Wheelies. Does that mean anything to you? I think it might be a bit before Jen's time,
0: Chilton and the Wheelies. It was Uh, a kids' show. Is Is it
4: where all the, like, things grow out? It's terrifying. Is it where the plants grow out of the... No, I think that might be Jason and the World Warriors. It's it's
3: kind of like a sort of permanent race that there's a witch who just pops up and she's got, like, a a face that looks like a crescent moon almost. It goes around like that and he's got one of these faces. Mm. Anyway, he's also got this, like, bowler hat that's got, like, spider legs attached to it. I mean, it's the stuff of nightmares. The sinister fuck. Yeah, the sinister fuck. Anyway, while the kid's talking to this kid from the future, his science project gets sabotaged and it doesn't work. What? I know. And kids are pricks. He ends up going into the time machine that this kid from the future has arrived with and goes back to the future. That's a good idea for a film. He back to the future nah. with this <laughs> kid. Worked. Meanwhile, weird looking fuck and spider bowler hat stay in the present. Please tell me that's how they're named in the credits. <laughs> no, but actually <laughs> okay. what they're named in the credits as is kind of, I can't, I can't tell you. Oh, spoiler, spoiler alert. He's basically called bowler hat guy for most of it. Um, at this point, the film splits into two separate timelines, which again is quite... Advanced storytelling for kids. Because mm-hmm. I struggle to understand time travel in films, to be honest. So how children manage it.
0: What was that great line when Hannah came in from having a fag and she just went... She'd obviously been talking to someone and all we heard was, and that why, And that is why I think time travel is bollocks.
3: Quite. <laughs> in the future, they they crash their time machine. and That's
0: why kids shouldn't drive. Yeah,
3: Lewis has to try and fix it. And he ends up with the family and hence meets the Robinsons, who are the family of the name, who are family who live in the future. A family that Wes Anderson would look at and say, oh, they're a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's that kooky. And then there is a scene where basically he's introduced to the mansion and the family that live in it. And it is is—it's one of those things again where you're like, did I Did I take acid before I watched this it's really kind of sort of bit slapstick, a bit, oh, let's open this door. Oh, hang on, it opens and we pop out of the toilet. It's, it's a bit weird. So I could have done without that. Future, by the way, looks fucking shit. It really does. It looks like this. It's a surprise. It look, no, it looks like this sort of saccharine, sugary, computer game-looking place. I think it's New York. What point did they say? Oh, I fucking just knocked the Chrysler building down. Who wants that? Let's just build all these yeah, new buildings. bollocks. Honestly, that future looks so bad that I right. thought I would actually... I'd be... Where's the sign-up sheet for Rollerball rather than live in that future? You and James Kahn, baby. Yeah. Final question. Um, do they have hoverboards in that future? Oh, they've got better things than that. Silver what? Suits? Because this kid's dad is apparently a really famous inventor. i leave it at that. So, like I say, two timelines. Quite complicated. Um, I think Bruce Willis is dead. Um, It has got some funny jokes in it. Like I say, it it spaffs them a bit. It does have one funny joke, though, in which they they won't show the dad character in it at all for reasons which become clear at the end of the film.
4: I think they're starting to become clear. Bruce Willis is (laughs) dead.
3: But instead, they just show a photograph of Tom Selleck every time they talk about the dad. And actually, the dad is later played by tom selick is is um is he in a waterfall eating a sandwich uh, it has it, i have to say a photograph of tom selick hasn't made me laugh so much since mick well, one of the first things mick ever did when i met her was send me a photograph of tom selick i think you're fine i sent you about six photographs <laughs> of tom I was trying to say, save your reputation there as someone who wasn't full on mad what reputation um, um
0: in various waterfalls with various different
3: sandwiches um, yeah
0: i've never seen that um, it's from Tom Selleck in Waterfalls with Sandwiches Tumblr. <laughs>
3: it's an actual Tumblr. Up. It's exciting, but then
0: we were disappointed by Tom Selleck, weren't we, Hannah?
3: Yeah, because then he like went all NRA. Yeah, all and like, um, guns are great. Bang yeah, bang, splash. Um, I, <laughs> I felt bad laughing at Tom Selleck jokes in this. Yeah, it also has frogs who can sing and play music. One of whom is played by Jamie Cullen.
4: Not by Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney.
3: McCartney. Uh, no, by Jamie Cullen, which is the...
4: Paul,
3: Paul, Paul, probably one of the more weird things that turns up in a Disney film or that Scat. I've seen. He doesn't, but he does sing. So
4: I was drunk. he did that Snares advert when they, I think it, they were like bringing about the Super Nintendo or something and they had a bunch of people like singing the Nintendo music And he was on it, and he was scatting, and he was going. I fucking hate you. I I
3: had a job for about a year where I had to drive about fifty miles, and I left work at seven o'clock, and I only had a radio in my car. The other things didn't work, and
1: sometimes I
3: used to stay late to wait for joe wiley to come on at eight o'clock because i just couldn't listen to jamie cullen for an hour every
0: thursday when i was driving back from Harrogate theater i'd be like oh fuck
3: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's meet the robinsons better than i was expecting i mean i am a bit depressed because every time i think oh we're nearly there how many more films do I have to watch? I discover new ones that I didn't know existed. Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet. What we the fuck we is haven't that? got there yet.
4: Oh, dear god, that's...
3: This was a pleasant surprise. Let's say that. It All was right. it was it isn't brilliant, but it was not as bad as perhaps it uh, at, at first glance. Oh, nothing is not as bad Pocahontas. As Pocahontas. It was not Pocahontas. I mean, uh, what I probably haven't mentioned is there aren't really... Are
0: there any classic Disney values in it? There? Uh, there aren't really any
3: classic <laughs> Disney values. There aren't really any... I mean, he gets, uh, a, he gets abandoned. Strong female roles in
4: it. Oh, she just fucks off. Yeah. That's a classic Disney value, isn't
3: it? Yeah. There are there are women in it. That, I mean, but that is, you know, the mother has been thrown out of the picture. But the woman who runs the orphanage is nice and... Like a Is she be... a
0: tiny bit racist? Does she have a Siamese cut or anything?
3: No, she's oh, actually missed she, a trick she, there. She, she has a really odd shaped head. It's, it's not particularly nicely animated, I have to say. I didn't really, it didn't. Honestly, the future looked awful. Really. If that's where the world is going. Probably not, mate. To <laughs> no. <laughs> be honest. What score are we giving it? Um, I'm going to give it three. Three what? Three photographs of Tom Selleck and a sandwich and a waterfall.
2: Out of the five. five or six I sent you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> okay. Hi, and thanks very much for listening. Just a quick word that between me recording the intro to this and me recording the outro to this the scaffolding around my house has been taken down way so I can open my windows hooray so I am not going to allow the interruption of me having open windows and listening to children screaming at the nearby school and my neighbor's dogs barking and all those things again and I'm not going to stop that just to record so if you can hear loads of background noise we're just going to live with it for this one next week's podcast is a gig cast. It's the one that was recorded back in March at the Leicester Square Theatre when our lineup was, wait for it, Sally Wainwright, Fern Britton, Ruth Jones and Womini Misaku. And it was brilliant. We had a great time, talked about loads of stuff, so that will be out on Wednesday. We do have our last In Conversation gig in London, which um, we won't be having another one until September. So if you want to come to one, that's happening on Bank Holiday Monday, 28th of May, Leicester Square Theatre. Details are on Sarah's website, uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. If you want to get in touch with us for anything, you can reach us on Twitter at at standard issue UK, or you can reach us individually. I am at that Dunleavy. Jen is at InspiraGen and Mick is at Mick St. Noonan. or we're on Facebook or Instagram. Or you can contact us through the mailbag if you've got something you think we should be talking about, you'd like us to talk about it. You know, you could just subtweet us on Twitter, which is what some people do. Or you could put a proposition to us via the mailbag and that would be great. Don't forget to rate and review us if you can. I mean, I'm not telling you to give us five stars, but perhaps the takeaway message is that I am. So thanks very much for listening. Stay frosty until next week.